Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Great to be with you again today, Collective. Uh, Exciting. Last week we talked about buying the field, that uh, God bought our field, uh, treasure and dirt all. In every field you're looking for treasure, there's also dirt, and that describes our relationship. So the challenge was to buy the field of each other, and then to buy the field of those who, uh, shall we say, their lives don't have a whole lot of curb appeal. In other words, they have more dirt, but you got to know this about uh, everybody that God has created, he put treasure in. And the call was for us to become treasure hunters rather than dirt inspectors. It takes no effort to be a dirt inspector. It takes effort to be treasure hunters. Well, today we're going to talk about loving like Jesus because it works right in there. How do we, how do we buy the field with people that are around us, that live around us, that work with us, that we go to church with? How do, we, how do we do that? Well, it's about loving like Jesus. We're going to go to the book of Matthew this morning, and uh, we're going to leapfrog through a few things. We're, not going to, we're going to touch on a lot of stuff, but we're not going to camp on it quite yet. But in Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus, and his first public ministry and message is in verse 17. He sounds a little bit like John the Baptist. Uh, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This word repent has been uh, misused and used against people uh, many times, and that's not the intention. Jesus came because God so loved the world. So we have to understand this, that God is love, that Jesus is saying this in love. So what does that mean? Well, the word repent literally means change your mind, change your thinking. Uh, We just sang a song about he changes everything. Well, he can change everything would be better terminology and certainly better theology. He can change everything, but will we let him? Because only you, only I can change our thinking, my thinking. We all have to own our own. In Romans chapter 12, Paul talked about that, about being transformed by the renewing of our mind. But this uh, takes place, this, um, wow, these chapters, four, five, six, seven, are really, really rich, and it's what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. My first trip to Israel um, there was nothing on this, in this one field. There was a, there's a church there. Now today, uh, we went uh, a couple years ago now, Beth and I, and uh, they built all kinds of stuff. But when I was there the first time, there was just a church and then this big open field. And it was a pastor's uh, trip. So I was out on this field with about three other guys from out west. They're Korean pastors. And we were just sitting out there. It was a Sunday morning. We really hadn't had time. There was nothing built in for us to have church together. Can you can imagine that? A bunch of pastors on this trip. But it was like uh, arranged by tourist, tourism uh, group and tourism Israel. And, and uh, we said, well, we're going to take a few moments out on this field overlooking the Sea of Galilee, which is kind of in the vicinity where Jesus would have been as he preached this message. It was my most profound experience that first trip, entire first trip. It was like holy ground. Because I was looking there for the first time at the whole Galilean area, the whole Sea of Galilee, 
And you could picture that Jesus was of Capernaum over here, and Bethsaida over here, and Magdala and Tiberius over here. And, and it, you know, just, it was just like one of those like, ah, well, this is where he is. Um, but he says so many profound things in this thing. In verse 17, he says, I don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. So don't get in the law-hater group, because Jesus is not a law-hater. He fulfilled it. There's a big, 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 big difference there. Um, he was giving the spirit of the law, not just the letter of the law, which is what Paul picks up in Corinthians. He was the word made flesh, so that we could see it. In chapter 5, six times he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. What's he, what's he doing? He's redefining the Father's heart for them. Because we read things and then we give our interpretation. Isn't that how we do it? We, we read things and we give our interpretation. And uh, this has created quite chaos in our society today. But this continues to go on. Chapter 6 Five times he says, do not worry, and talks about all things that we worry about. And he says this, basically, that the Father knows what you have need of, but we're told to still ask. Isn't that strange? That God already knows what you need, but he says ask. Well, because it takes humility to ask. It takes humility to say, I I need your help, God. I can't do this on my own. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. A lot of people, I still remember on a Sunday morning, it was many years ago, um, but I, there was a 40-year-old man behind me who had a drinking problem who got saved. And then I turned around, I was talking to him, and he said it was the first time in his life at 40 years old he'd ever asked for help from anybody. Because he believed the lie that you had to do it on your own. If you're a real man, you could make it on your own. That's a lie. That's a lie. If you want to do anything significant in life, you're going to have to do it with other people. You're going to need help. Uh, in dealing with pastors, I always say, pastors, in fact, we talked about this the first time we ever had coffee together to see if we were going to want to work together or not, if this was a, a God deal. And our short coffee turned into about two and a half hours. <laughs> and he wanted me to pray about whether or not I'd be an overseer. But the, that, that conversation already did us. I don't have to pray about it. It's, the answer is yes. Uh, I already have a witness of the Spirit. So it, it, was, it was not an issue. But, um, you know, we, we have to... Realize this, that if, I think every person, I always say to pastors, every pastor needs help, not every pastor wants help. I would say the thing about period, about people. Every person needs help, not everybody wants help. So, uh, you know, we, we want to we gather people that will not just tell us what we need to hear, but what we, what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. And uh, that doesn't mean you have to be uh, shouting people down just to try to give an alternative point of view. I had an elder one time that proved he was not an elder by declaring that since he was the only one there that he had to be a devil's advocate. I think, can you imagine the terminology using that in church? You had to be a devil's advocate. And it's like, wow. Okay. You'd think that that would be a awakener. But anyways, in chapter 7, Jesus starts talking about judging and not judging other people. I mean, there is a, a case, and he talks about judging one another to keep everybody on the way and, and for their benefit. And then he talks about ask, asking, seeking, knocking. Again, keep in mind that it's humility that says we need, we need help. Uh, and then he talks about narrow and broad ways, which we talked about last year, I think it was, when, when we were going through the series. 
because the, the broad way is the, is the one that more people take. The narrow is the one you have to look for. It, it takes a little bit of effort to kind of discover and then humble ourselves. He talks about false prophets. Then he says people who actually did, sounds like good things, but he says, I never knew you. In other words, you did right things, but you did them for the wrong motive. You didn't do them out of obedience to me. Maybe, maybe so people would look at us, maybe so people would see, maybe so people would think that we were so good rather than seeing God was so good. Who knows? But can you imagine hearing these things for the very first time? I don't know if you've ever watched the series Chosen, um, but it's like amazing. They've done a great job there, and I found myself watching people hearing Jesus for the first time. And he's saying these kind of radical things. They're very radical. They're still radical today. I've been saying for uh, the 66, no, 56 years. Just had to think back for a minute. Officially. I would have said yes earlier, but they didn't ask us until I was 12. That was kind of like the tradition. But I would have said yes earlier because of my upbringing. But, you know, it's still radical teaching. I'm 68, just turned 68. I'm still learning, still growing. I know more than I've ever known in my life, and I have more questions than I've ever known in my life. If you're at a state and point where you have more answers than questions, uh, that's a problem. You should, you should have more questions than answers no matter how many answers you have because that's the God we serve, the infinite God we serve. And so it's, it's challenging. He challenges us on every front. He challenges us how we think. And that's what this word repent means. So if we're going to learn to love like Jesus, uh, before we can love like Jesus, we have to learn to act like Jesus. And before we can learn to act like Jesus, we have to learn to think like Jesus. And that's the issue. Do we think like Jesus? Do we think Bible? Or do we just think like us? Worse, do we think like the world around us? Do we think like we've been educated? Uh, educated by media, social media, whatever it is. Where's the source of our thinking? Do we think Bible? And so I pray that we can learn to think Bible a little bit more. But loving like Jesus, here's what... Mark records, Mark chapter 12, verse 28 and 31. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And let me read it to you in the Amplified um, Translation. And you shall love the Lord your God out of and with your whole heart. Out of and with all your soul, your life. Out of and with all your mind, with all your faculty of thought and your moral understanding, and out of and with all your strength, this is the first and principal commandment. When we, when we started a, a church back in 1984, it was called Koinonia, and uh, we have a Koinonia principle, and that is this. That the vertical relationship with the Lord is incomplete without the horizontal relationship with one another. The same word that's koinonia, fellowship with God, is the same word used for fellowship with each other. You can't have one or the other. That's what John's talking about when he says, uh, you can't say you love God who you can't see if you can't love your brother who you can see. It's a whole lot easier to say, well, I love God. Him, I can't stand. Her, you know, like, but Jesus said, that doesn't work. If you're going to love like Jesus, then you have to realize that 
the only proof of how well we're loving Jesus is by how we're loving one another. We won't go into that too much today, but how's that going? But there's a question. No show of hands, please. <laughs> See, you know, this, the cross. When you look at the cross, well, it does two things. There's a, there's, a, there's a beam that points up and a beam that goes out. Just think about that. It's koinonia. It's fellowship with God, one another. Jesus died because of God's love for mankind, and he's embracing humanity. He's demonstrating the love of God, and by loving his neighbor. So in Exodus chapter 20, we have uh, the Ten Commandments, but 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 say this, you shall not murder. So the first four are about God primarily, between him and God. But these last six are all between you and people. So um, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, wife, and servant. Or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Do you know why you don't have to covet anything your neighbor has? Because if you need it to fulfill God's assignment and destiny on your life, God himself will give it to you. If he doesn't give it to you, guess what? You don't need it. So we don't all need the same thing to fulfill our assignments before God. In Exodus 21, there's this referred to this law of retaliation. Law of retaliation says this, you poke my eye out, I'll poke your eye out. You knock my tooth out, I get to knock your tooth out. The intention was to limit personal, here's the word, revenge. That was the purpose of it. All right? So, uh, and to protect the offender from punishment uh, greater than the offense warranted. I had a friend when he first got saved. Um, you know, he came to the church with his wife, and, and he thought it was kind of weird because these guys were hugging each other and stuff, and I'm a hugger. Um, and he told me later when we became friends, he says, that first time I met you, I thought, if you hug me, I'm going to deck you. Because his, his motto up to pitter-patter, let's get at her. That was, his, that was his motto up until the time he got saved. And he was, he was a little bit of a fighter after that, too. But um, <laughs> see, this law was to, to limit payback. So you hit me once, I'm going to hit you twice. There's a stupid game that we used to play when we were kids. And we punch each other on the arm. And it's like, who can handle? Like, it's a really stupid game. Anyways, you don't need to know how to do that. But in Leviticus chapter 19, I don't know if you knew, verse 17 and 34 says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. That was not a new thought. This is under the law. You have to understand that all the law came out of the heart of God and the character of God. And there's Old Testament, New Testament, but there's only one story. And it's all connected. It's one story. You ever divide and say, well, that's Old Testament? You're on shaky ground right there. Oh, well, this is New Testament. Well, no, no, it's one story. One story, same God, but he's bringing illumination to us. Jesus in chapter 1 of John, John says he's the Word, and he's the life, and he's the light. The Word brings life, a revelation. Revelation gives light for how you walk out your life. So in Proverbs, when it says the Word is a lamp unto your feet, that's exactly why. And his name is Jesus. He is the word. He is the life. He is the light. Another message. So they heard, love your neighbor, 
those like you, fellow descendants of Abraham. Sometimes we hear neighbor like Christians, like right Christians. Well, yes, Christians too. Um, but they heard revenge. Here it is: revenge, retaliation, versus loving your neighbor. This is the confusion in the mind when Jesus starts saying loving your neighbor, and they're trying to figure out revenge, retaliation, love your neighbor like people like me? No, not necessarily people like you. A couple more things. The golden rule. You ever heard anybody talk about the golden rule? Golden rule referred to in Matthew 7, verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Uh, Luke says it this way, Luke chapter 6, verse 31. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. One of my kids, who remain nameless, said one time, well, if that's how they want to treat me, then that's obviously how they want to be treated. No, 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 no. That's not what it says. It's how we read it. We all read it that way. I've heard lots of people of all ages Say the same thing. So if that's the game you want to play, if that's how you want to do it, two can play that game. That is not what the Bible is talking about. It's certainly not what Jesus is talking about. It's not about, like, treat people how they treat you. It takes no faith to do that. It takes faith to treat people how you'd like them to treat you. That's the point that Jesus is getting to. Jesus redefines two very key things. And one is, who is my neighbor and how do we love? Who's my neighbor and how do we love? So let's answer the first question. Who is my neighbor? This is in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And uh, there's a man who's interrogating, a lawyer who's interrogating Jesus. Now, what do I do to inherit eternal life? What does the Bible say? What does the scripture say? He answers, you shall love the Lord your God. We've already read that. All right? And your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered rightly. Do this and you'll live. Love this. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Because Jesus answered really well. Really simple. Really clear. But his job was to try to trip up Jesus, but Jesus continually tripped up people who were trying to trip him up. Who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Perhaps you've heard that story before. Um, we could preach a whole message on that, but, but that's not the point. The point is that this man who is on a road between Jericho and Jerusalem, and it's desert, is dry, not much there, um, rolling hills, great places for robbers to hide and then jump out and then rob people and beat them up. And this is exactly what this happened to this man who was traveling. And, uh, but fortunately, a priest came by, but when he saw one, he, you know, he didn't want to get involved, and so he passed on the other side. A Levite came along and, yeah, I can't really touch this guy. This is not really good for me. So he passed by on the other side, and then a Samaritan. Jesus makes a Samaritan the hero of the story. This is highly offensive and confusing. Samaritan, what's so big about the Samaritans? Well, if you know your church history, you know that the kingdom became divided after King Solomon, 
Actually, uh, no, no, don't digress there, Steve. It's all about counsel and where you get your counsel from. Um, but uh, the kingdom split. Two kingdoms, uh, Judah and Benjamin, and then the top ten kingdoms. Uh, and they all separated. So their the headquarters in, in Bethel. Uh, Samaria was a city. Uh, they were not serving God. And Judah, on good days, served God. On bad days, they didn't either. But God was keeping a remnant of them. And so there's this great thing that was built up between them, a problem with the Samaritans. And Jesus uses the Samaritan as the hero of the story. And he went over and above to take care of this man who had been victimized. Binds him up, puts him on his own animal, takes him to the inn, pays in advance. Anything else that you need more, I will repay when I come by this way again. Like, more than you would ever expect. See, neighbor, neighbor love has no ethnic limits. It's the evidence of God's love. So he asked this man, which one was neighbor? And he says, he who showed mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Wow. Mic drop. Isn't that like a mic drop? That's why we like to wear a mic. I like to preach with my hands. I'm not Italian, but it helps me. Okay, so there's who's a neighbor? Eh, pretty well everyone. Uh, how to love, all right? John 13, 34, Jesus said this, a new commandment. Not really a new commandment, a little new twist, new clarity. New commandment I give to you, you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. The new part to the commandment is now they've, want to watch Jesus, how he lived his life, and they're going to watch him die. All right? That's the new part. It hasn't taken place yet. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You're going to watch me die, and you're going to see that's what it's going to take. Lay down your life for your friends. That's what he's talking about in John 13. How to, how to love. Get this. It's easy. As I have loved you. Really? As, how do you love? As Jesus loved. Sounds easy enough. Well, how did Jesus love? Jesus loved, first of all, he loved first. That's what Jesus did. He loved first. Paul said, well, we love him because he first loved us. Yes, Jesus always loved first. He didn't wait for somebody to love him. Uh, He loved unconditionally. Unconditionally. No strings attached, not about performance. He, he loved with compassion. He was moved inside. It wasn't just an action. It was a moving. He cared about people, compassion. He loved without prejudice. He loved everyone. He loved completely, completely. See, the cross represented the greatest love possible. In John 15, 13, greater love is no one than this than to lay down one's life for his Friends And Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's a pretty high calling. We use those scriptures sometimes at marriages and weddings. They're, they're true. They're good scriptures. They're, they're desirable. They're honorable. It's true. In our own strength, impossible. To love like Jesus in our own strength is impossible. That's the point. See, Jesus is raising the bar. He's raising the bar. Unless we think, 
oh, well, that's under the law. I'm under grace. Grace raises the bar on the law considerably. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, this is what Jesus said. I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. Those ones are keeping the law or trying to do the best to keep the law or pretending to keep the law, whatever the case may be. Your righteousness has to exceed that or you have no place in the kingdom of God. Exceed means superabound in quality or quantity. Be in excess and to excel. Jesus raises the bar over and above the law, not less. For I say unto you that unless your righteousness, your uprightness, your moral essence is more than that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what the Amplified reads. Remember he said, you've heard it said, but I say to you, every time he said that, he raised the bar. You heard it said, you know, if you have uh, commit adultery with a woman, you know, if you, if you take her to bed, that, but I say to you, if you think about it in your head, he said, like, it just really, he's like, are you kidding me? He's like raising the bar on everything. You heard it said, but I say to you. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, um, Jesus said, uh, you've heard it said that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a truth, but I tell you not to resist the evil person. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other him also. If anyone wants to sue you, take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one, go with him too. That was about a soldier could actually require you to carry his stuff for a mile. And he says, do it too. Do it too, just to show you it's not because of that. Um, give to him who asks, from him who wants to borrow, from him do not turn, turn aside. Jesus is forbidding revenge by insisting on positive good in the face of evil. It's like, sounds admirable, sounds awesome, sounds great. I think you should do that. Me? Uh, see, we're all for somebody else to try that and do that, but... How about the same thing for us? Like all of us as Christians are called to love like Jesus. Does that bring us to a place of, wow, that's impossible? We sang about impossible. All things are possible. Breakthrough. All things are possible. But that's only with God. And that's the point. That's the point. I can't, you can't, we can't on our own. But if we can with his help, the world will sit up and take notice. In this passage, he goes, he talks about personal insult, talks about legal contentions, talks about forced labor, talks about requests for gifts and loans. And the point was not to seek revenge when evil is done. That's the point. This is not to get your theology out of his point was, don't take revenge. Leave that with God. Did Jesus love the world? Question. Everyone, did Jesus love the world? Come on, everybody in the room, if you're at home, you can shout it out to the, the TV. Did Jesus love the world? Yes. 
Yeah, because God loved the world. So Jesus loved the world. All right, did Jesus have people that didn't like him? Did he have enemies? Yeah, did they put him on a cross? Did he still love them? Wow. Can you say, well, wow, that was good, you know. Wow, awesome. But, you know, he did not, even though he loved him, he did not surrender what was just. He was always the truth. Yet he loved. He loved, but he called out hypocrisy. But he loved them. Did he not love them? Did I say it again? Did he love everybody? Come on, we, we forget this. We think, well, he only loves us as Christians. Whoa, where did you get that from? Well, he only loved me last week because I had a good week. I'm not going to church Sunday because I had a bad Saturday, so, you know, I don't. He either loves the world or he doesn't love the world. Make up your mind. My Bible says he loves the world, loves everybody before he ever got saved. He doesn't love you more after. He gets pleasure out of you once you get saved and do his will. But he didn't get pleasure out of us if we get saved and just do our will. It's going, ah, you're missing the point. And there's just so much more if you'd learn to do life my way. Eat from the tree of life, not the tree of knowledge, good and evil. Don't, don't demand that you get to choose what's right and wrong for you. This is wrong with our society today. It's the same stuff gone on since the garden. Everybody wants to determine what's right and wrong. Everybody wants to be their own authority. There's only one authority for us as Christians, and that's Jesus. And he says, love like me. Love, first, unconditionally, with compassion, without prejudice, and completely. It costs something to hold on to kingdom principles. Sometimes you lose opportunities. But Jesus always stood up for the marginalized, for the weak, for the orphan, and the widow. In Matthew 5, verses 48, he says this. You have heard it said. Here's another one. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I said to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, the same son that gave light to us as we were driving today, gave light, gives light to everyone. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And they're the worst of the worst, right? The tax collectors, they were the worst of the worst of the worst. So don't you know that when Matthew became a disciple, that was a bit of a challenge. I, again, I love the chosen because they show, man, these guys have a hard time with Matthew coming in to being a part of them. But they don't know the transformation that's taking place in Matthew. He walks away from everything. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Like, do not even the tax collectors do so. Here they are again. Yeah, throw them under the bus. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. In our own strength, our own effort, are you kidding me? It's impossible. But he will mature us. He will perfect us. His love is perfect. Perfect love, what? Cast out fear. If you have fear operating in your life, it's a sure, fine, a sure sign that you don't have perfect love. And, and really what it is, is a revelation of perfect love. In other words, we have to see God big enough 
so that we can say no to fear and yes to faith. That's what he says to us. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Wow. <laughs> Luke records the same thing. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Um, love, your, love your enemy, your adversary, your foe, those whose actions or words manifest hatred for you, who despise and persecute you. I would sim- submit you probably don't have to look too far these days because it seems like everybody's against everybody. Unless you're exactly like me. Say every little word exactly like me. But we're not. We're just pretending. So I'll just pretend so you'll leave me alone. So you won't bug me. So you won't, you know, fill in the blanks. This this kind of love that Jesus is talking about, loving your enemies, like really, is only possible through the power of Jesus Christ. So how, how do you do that? You cannot in your own strength. That's the point. But he wants us to live differently now than what we could in our own strength. When Paul talks to the Corinthians and calls them carnal Christians, it's not a compliment, and it's not a, it's not a put down, it's just fact. Carnal means you're acting as if you didn't have the Spirit. That's it. Doesn't mean you're bad. Because everybody in the world that's not a Christian doesn't have the Spirit. And it's possible for you as a Christian to still act as if you didn't have the Spirit. In other words, you're not, you're not living like Jesus. You're not trying to. You're not, you're not saying, what's your will? What's your way? You know, it's, it's just choosing our own way and our own will just like the rest of the world. The Amplified Bible says this. Listen to this. I say to you who are listening to me, in order to heed and make it a practice, love your enemies, treat well, do good, act nobly towards those who detest and pursue you with hatred. Invoke blessings upon and pray for the happiness of those who curse you. Implore God's blessing and favor upon those who abuse you, who revile, reproach, disparage, and high-handedly misuse you. Hmm. Perfect means complete, all-inclusive love that seeks good for all. Okay, so so where do we start? Well, Paul had some great ideas, just some practical application as I pull this together this morning. In Romans chapter 12, 17 and 21, I encourage you to read it this afternoon sometime, get home or this evening. But he says this, repay no one evil for evil. That was the revenge, put that aside. As much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Not everybody will choose to live that way with you. Three, do not avenge yourself. Don't try to pay back. Let God do it. Overcome evil with good, which means not just simply by restraining from doing evil, but doing good in the face of evil. So it's not just by not doing evil back, but by doing good in place. So love your neighbor. Yeah, everyone, everywhere. Not just the ones like us or the ones we already know. Love your enemies. <laughs> that, that means love the hard, not just the easy. Not just those who love us. And love like Jesus. Love first. Love completely. Love through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, 
that he's producing in us as we allow him to do. Loving like Jesus, impossible in our own strength. Love like Jesus, possible by the power of his spirit. Father, today we come before you and you raise a high bar that we recognize is the point because you're saying we cannot do it in our own strength. We cannot be like you in our own strength. And yet you say, be holy, be set apart, be uncommon like you. We recognize today our, our need as, as Christians, as believers. We need the power of your word. We need the power of your spirit to operate in us and through us. And we desire that you would work in us and through us. Today, for those who do not know you, Lord, you are just looking for them to respond to your love because you are love. And you have already proven your love. Not when we got our act together, but long before. So, Father, for those who say yes to you today, we pray that they would come to know you as Lord and as Savior, that you begin to transform their life and they too can hear. You've heard it said, but the words of Jesus say, but this is now what I say to you. You have the words of life, Jesus. You have the words of life for us to know how to walk in life, how to do life well. You desire the best for us. Your way, we declare, is the best. And you are the way, the truth, and the life. Help us to love you and to love like you. In Jesus' name. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you Sunday.